testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. And testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Paul Coletti. And I'm Todd Walden. And we're Talking Pictures. Hi, everybody. This is episode number five, and I had to write it down in front of me so I would remember because <laughs> yep. I can't it's remember where my car keys are, let alone <laughs> what podcast. How well, many times have done this? Uh, we have some leftover questions from last week, but we're going to go straight to the topic that I had introduced at the end of podcast number four for everybody to think about. And we go to all sorts of events, fires, murders, uh, you know, yeah. sporting events or whatnot. But when you show up to someone's house that's burning, what's mm-hmm. the first thing you look for, Paul? Uh, the, uh, honestly, the first thing I look for, if the house is on fire and there are flames coming out the windows, I look for someone in the window. I look for somebody jumping, firemen going into rescue. Um, I look for, if I'm pulling up to the curb and I see the house burning, I'm looking for firemen carrying someone out or dragging somebody out of the house something something that says like life-saving emergency um if that's clearly not happening i'm shooting flames um you know before they get them knocked down you can see that this house is really you know really rolling um you know none of that's happening which is usually the case it's usually just smoke or garbage fire or the toaster or grease fire on the stove you know smoke or something like that but um yeah, pray for the best, and and look for the and so the when you're what I look for is you know the rescue obviously is is you know tantamount you want that kind mm-hmm. of life saving picture who doesn't want to get that picture oh I think but, I know where you're going but but the the person who's most affected by the house burning down is the owner of the house yeah you're looking for emotion so you're looking for emotion yeah, yeah. and so when we show up to stuff we are looking for people reacting to the bad things that are happening to them. Yep. Just the same way, to be fair, we go to a sporting event right. and look for... You look for the emotion. Right, look for the emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's it can be an uncomfortable thing yep. to take pictures of people at their darkest moment. Yeah. And I often wonder, if I were in this position, if my house were burning down, mm-hmm. and all of my, you know brethren from the local news media yeah. showed up to my house while my wife was hysterical mm-hmm. uh how would i feel about my wife being on the front page of the paper not and not just hysterical you and your wife hysterical but in the middle of the night in your pajamas um you know disheveled pulled out of bed um looking your worst not just in your worst moment but looking your worst and you know feeling your worst you know, to then be have your photo taken and have it, you know, published for the whole community to see. Todd, have you ever been in a position uh, at a fire or a news scene where the person who you were photographing, uh, I was going to say, ape something, and then I decided not to uh, to go, just goes crazy on you, just starts screaming at you. That not that I can not, not that I can explicitly remember. I, I can remember. Uh, you know, I mean, it it isn't the best feeling in the world when you're doing it, but you know, I think we serve a, a greater purpose uh, when we do things like that. I always think it's unique that uh, I, I don't know a photographer, I don't know a reporter who doesn't buckle their seatbelt in the car. And I think the reason yeah. is is we rolled up on so many bad 
situations that you know it's 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 instinctual yeah. um and i i've had these conversations with uh friends of mine who you know and, and it's always sparked by oh man did you see that that terrible accident in the you know in the paper that photo um or did you hear about that that terrible accident and it you know I, as bad as it sounds i think you know we do serve a purpose in that letting people know these things happen and they you know they happen to to everybody they don't happen to you know specific people and they happen in your own backyard yeah you go, oh wow well i i drive that stretch of john deere road every day yeah. i know exactly where that is mm-hmm. or yeah yeah oh, i can't believe somebody got hit or there was a fatal accident there like that's on my way to work oh man to think oh that happened at 8 30 i i drive through that intersection at 8 15 you know it could have been me mm-hmm. yeah now i i know i've never pulled the punch Mm-hmm. Um, when you were in, and, and what I mean by pull a punch is that if you show up to a news event, I've never not taken a photograph because I felt sorry for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sounds really, really cold, but it's true because it's not my job to edit myself in the field. It's my boss. Uh, in this case, it's Laura frames, um, to say yes or no. And sometimes it goes down to the publisher. Are we going to run this picture or not? Is this picture in bad taste? Now we've taken lots of bloody gory pictures that have never seen the light of day mm-hmm. because not because we love blood and gore. I mean, this isn't a horror movie. This is real life. Um, but because uh, it's newsworthy. Um, but if you go to something, you can't un you you can't go back and take a picture. You in, in an interview, you could probably go back and call somebody and go, oh, hey, Sheriff, I forgot to ask you this. Could you answer this question? But you can't go back and go, oh, I didn't take that picture because I felt bad for them. So can we all go back to the, you know, right. the, the playground right. or, you know, the street corner or whatever where the bad thing happened? And they, when I was in journalism school, they, they, they kind of drilled this into you with, a, with an exercise and it's it's almost like a war shock test, and I and I remember it. I remember the picture distinctly, and it's a famous drowning photo of a of a child. Uh, I think that they had just pulled the young child out of a lake, and the mm-hmm. parent is standing over uh, the child, hysterical that their child is drowned. Yeah. And the general instruct the instructor in the photojournalism class will say, "Well, would you have taken this picture?" And there's some people that raise their hand and say, no, we've had a photographer here in the last five or six years that I asked, well, what happened at the scene? And I was kind of doing a debrief with them. And, mm-hmm. and the person said to me, well, I, I just couldn't take that picture. And I just kind of stared at them. Yeah. And, I, and it's not that that person isn't a great photographer because that person has gone on to great things mm-hmm. and was a great photographer when they were here but they couldn't pull the trigger it wasn't that wasn't it's not the photographer's call to make Correct. you're you're it sounds a little grandiose but it's all, you're like a witness to history and you're there and it's not your decision it's not your call as to whether or not to record the moment it's happening and you're there to record it so record it and it's better to have the photo and decide not to use it than to have the decision made for you because you didn't shoot it. Well, we can't run it now because 
I didn't take the picture. Right. But if you have it, you can say, every, like Todd, what you were just saying, is it in bad taste? Is it newsworthy? Is it important? Does, you know, does the community need to know about this? Um, you know, in which case you say, yeah, okay, great. Well, we're good. We have the photo, then we can use it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we will, this newspaper will err on the side of good taste right. or community relations or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. We won't run blood and gore. Mm -hmm. We won't run a dead body. Mm -hmm. Um, for the most part, I mean, we've run people in bags who have passed away, who mm -hmm. have been fished out of the river or shot, killed, murdered, whatever. And being wheeled on gurneys out of scenes, I think we've run those pictures. But uh, we have to be able to give the person in charge, be it all the way up to the publisher or you know our immediate supervisor or me to you, that mm -hmm. you know we right. have to have that option. To, you know, do we have that picture? Um, so it's an it's an interesting, and it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. This gig is not for everybody, and it sounds almost egotistical to say, well, some people aren't cut out for this. But I have found in my days as the person who's been in charge of interns and had to deal with a lot of young reporters that some people who come through the doors of every newsroom in America, be it TV or newspaper or radio, some people are able to put their personal emotions in their back pocket and go and do a very difficult job, and some people are not. I mean, mm -hmm. we had one intern that got so nervous she started crying in the middle of the street. That was not a photo intern. That was a, a reporting intern. You were with her. I was. That's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. How could I forget about that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and, couldn't, you know, couldn't overcome her own, um, I don't even know what to call it, shortcomings, sure, but personal fear mm. of of a difficult conversation because she was, yeah, she had yes, to interview exactly somebody right. she didn't know yeah it was in an uncontrolled situation yeah that's right and she panicked and yes sat down on the curb and started to cry yes and it sounds terrible it really does sound mean when you talk about it um but the interesting thing is we always talk about whenever you get a bunch of journalists be it tv or um or newspaper or radio or whatever, and they're all at some scene and they're bored mm -hmm. and they're waiting for something to happen. Everybody's humor goes dark. Yep. And it's like, it's all the jokes are, or all the humor or conversation is dark. And if you were to record that conversation and put it out for the masses, mm -hmm. A lot of people would be appalled, I think, as sure, yeah. to the conversations that we have. And I think it's a defense mechanism. I think it's a way to cope, definitely. Yeah. I think it's a coping mechanism. I mean, yes. you've been in those conversations, Todd, haven't you? I have, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, it's, I, I think there, there is some gallows humor in, the, in any newsroom and uh, in any situation like that. Mm -hmm. and, I, I, and I think we as professionals need to be very careful, though, too, because I've also seen it. You know, it's. I can remember uh, there was a drowning victim, and we were kind of on a body search, recovery, wait. Oh yeah, uh, standing by the river, waiting yeah, for waiting somebody around. to find the person right. when they well, bob up to the top of the yeah, surface. Or emergency crews it. dragging and things yep. like that. And one of the TV and the the family, uh, you know, relatives and associates were there, uh, not standing next to us, but off to the one side and one of the TV stations ordered a pizza 
That now that's oh, not that, cool. That's, no, you know it's not a picnic. I mean, I get it that you're hungry, but that's part of the job too. You know, we we've all been cold, we've all been hungry, we've all been thirsty, we've all had to use the bathroom. You know, it's you know a, a modicum of uh, restraint here is probably wow. yeah. necessary. Um, but yeah, you know, it's I, and I do think it's probably a coping mechanism. Um, there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, in this profession who you know, could probably use a little counseling at the end of a, you know, a difficult situation. I, yeah. It's interesting. I just got done reading a story about um, a photographer in, I want to, th- I want to say it was New Orleans after the New Orleans storm or uh, the, you know, Katrina, the mm-hmm. hurricane, mm-hmm. Um, who, you know, his, uh, you know, people don't realize that uh, a lot of times the photographer and the staff who are covering situations like that, they've lost houses, they've lost, you know, their families yeah. aren't, you know, they've they've moved away to friends or relatives, and uh, they're in as as bad a predicament as anybody else's, and they're showing up and doing their jobs too. Um, but he he ended up in uh, you know like running from the police one night months after the the fact, and uh, you know asking cops to shoot him and things like that, and it ended up he mm-hmm. ended up needing a little uh, you know a little help, help from counseling and. Yeah. Um, it was, it was. I wish I could remember his name, and I'm completely blanking on it right now. Did he work for the Picayune? I think it was. Yeah. Um, and because uh, I we just I just I just read this, and I and I, but they talk about you know a lot of the war photographers uh, end up with uh, you know post traumatic stress disorder. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, what we I mean, what we're doing uh, on a database at a local newspaper, uh, though, you know. I, I don't know that a big city newspaper photographer sees – I mean, they may see more fires or bigger fires, but I, I think it's all about the same experience. You go to a fire, you look for the emotion, you get an overall of the – you know, you kind of go through a checklist of things that you need to come back with and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then keep looking for something, you know, different or out of the ordinary or whatever. Um, a pet being rescued. Hey, man, I, nobody no. likes more than the happy picture of, of – uh, of um I've got of, more than one photo of a cat being resuscitated. Right. And I mean, being given put the the pet oxygen mask, you know, as the as the dog is revived on the curb. So, yeah, nobody yeah. nobody loves those pictures <laughs> yeah. more than I do. Yeah. I would much rather shoot someone being rescued mm-hmm. than I mean, I don't take any satisfaction. I think that that's sometimes when people yell at you at a news scene yeah it's because they think we have some kind of strange morbid curiosity in their pain mm-hmm. and that we're we're getting off for lack of a better term on yeah. the bad thing that is happening right that's not the case right um mm-hmm. it's you know years ago i was covering um a local high school that shall remain nameless um in the state championship and it was colder than hell and i was cold um and this is football. D- d- football yeah. outside, and they um, obviously outside. What a dumb <laughs> thing to say. Um, and the team lost, mm-hmm. and the team kind of have never ever dealt with losing very well before. And their and their Winning players team. weren't. If I remember correctly, yeah. their players weren't allowed to talk to the media after a loss. They were only ever allowed to talk to the media after a, a win. That's interesting. So here they are with no coping mechanism for. Mm-hmm. Uh, dealing with losing. Uh So, you know, my job is to run out onto the field and take pictures of people from this team reacting to losing. Uh And it was that classic American 
state championship loss photo that happens every year. Mm -hmm. The head cheerleader comforting the quarterback who after the loss of the game. So I line it up. I start to shoot. Click, 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 click. And I'm a respectful distance. I mean, I'm not standing on top of them with a 24 millimeter lens. I'm, I'm a good distance. I either had a 300, 280 or a 180 or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, all of a sudden I hear a kid swear and start screaming at me to tell me I should stop taking the picture. And I, you know, divert my attention to the screaming and it's the center for this football team. And this center is coming at me full board. Now, He's a he's a big kid. He's a big kid, kid, you know. And back then, you know, I probably I'm 180 soaking, 180 pounds soaking wet. Mm -hmm. Um, And he starts running at me with his helmet cocked above his head over his ear. Oh, that's spooky! Like he's going to hit me with it. Yeah. And he starts, "You stop taking that picture! Stop taking that picture! You have no right to take that picture!" And I looked him cold, dead stare in the eye, and I'm not quite sure I thought to do this i said son you take one more step you're going to jail this was over a football game over a football game and he stopped he short-circuited said some expletive and walked away but i came up with it at an instant and it worked worked. and he turned around and, and went the other direction and you know i the picture was over by then right um and I think the quarterback was a little embarrassed by the, by his center feeling so protective of mm-hmm. him. But, you know, even in a sporting event, I mean, yeah. that's a sporting event and you've got someone yelling at you yeah. um, over taking a picture at a difficult situation. Well, if they had won, they wouldn't have complained about us taking their picture, cheering and celebrating. Right. So it, it really is a two-way street. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting dichotomy. Just because we take pictures of bad things happening doesn't mean we want them to happen. You know, right. we didn't no. wish yeah. that football team to lose. We don't wish for houses to start on fire. We don't wish for bad accidents to happen. Um, you know, they're big stories, though, and, you know, we're professionals. And if a big story happens, I want to be there. And I think there's probably not too many people on staff who, who would say, oh, no, I, I don't want to be there. They want to be there. They want to be there when the big story happens. Um, you know, and from an emotional standpoint, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not easy to do the things that we do. But, yeah. you know, and, and I don't think it's really that much necessarily different than, you know, if you put a, a police officer in these chairs or a firefighter, if there's going to be a big fire, they're going to want to be there. They don't want to be on the sidelines. You know, if there's a, you know, a big incident for a police response that officers, they want to be there. They want to be in the mix. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's that much different. Now you can probably say, well, they're there to do good and you're there to document, you know, maybe there, you know, is that a difference? But I, I think that documentation is important i think it's important not only you know the first draft of history that we work on every day but uh also you know to 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 let people know that you know these bad things happen you know they're they're out there Mm -hmm. yes you're not to live in fear but i honestly think that there are the people who call and complain that we report bad news (laughs) that must be living in some kind of fantasy world where they they stick their fingers in their ear and they go na 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 mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to hear about bad yeah. news I don't want to hear about stop printing bad news well 
they've overlooked all the good news that we posted yeah. uh, or printed. So they're only fixated on the bad news. And I don't know what kind of personality trait uh, someone has that they cannot deal with bad news. I had, um, I had, when I was in Iowa city, uh, I photographed a girl, a young girl who had run over a, a cyclist. And as a cyclist, Todd, you can appreciate yeah. Uh, how dangerous it is can be riding on on a street of of any street, um, especially something b- busy college town like Iowa City. So she didn't she didn't yield to the cyclist and she ran him over and he didn't die, but he was you know the picture for the package um, was the girl sitting in the front seat of the car hysterical that she'd run this guy over, and then the the uh, the medics, uh, the ambulance and the firemen and everybody treating the guy flat on his bike with his crumpled bike next to him. Now, I got a call the next morning after the picture appeared in the newsroom from a gentleman who was just irate that we had run this photograph of this poor girl at her lowest moment. And, you know, I I guess I apologize that he was upset. So I'm like, I'm sorry that you're so upset, but it's news and, and, and we were reporting the news. We didn't make the accident happen. Uh... You know, she it was at fault and she ran him over. So I don't know. Maybe that's part of her penance in society that if you do something mm-hmm. stupid, you get your picture taken and put put in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. But later that day, my high school advisor had come to Iowa City to visit one of my friends, one of my classmates from high school, who was a football player who had blown out his knee. And so he had Fred had come to to uh, to visit him, uh, visit Mike. Uh, Bolin, who was a special teams player for Iowa at the time. And Fred, who was a big cyclist, said, I saw that picture you had in the paper yesterday or today. He said, man, everybody needs to look at that to know, to be aware of cyclists and how careful they need to be. So here we have two people looking at the exact same photograph. One saw it as a positive to show people they need to be careful when they drive, especially young drivers. Mm-hmm. And the other one was felt some empathy for a girl he didn't know and just felt like calling the newspaper to yell at me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we run pictures that that people don't like? Yes. Uh, but I don't think we ever do anything here that's in bad taste. We will err on the side of good taste to uh sometimes to to my chagrin it's like oh we really ought to run this picture we're not running that picture we need to run this picture i'm like well this picture tells the story better that picture is too graphic we need to run this picture okay but that's the reason why you take all of the pictures that are available to you when you're at a new scene as opposed to Mm self-editing because you never know when you get back i mean have you, you you have you i assume you've not self edited at something I don't think I have. Usually when when I come back from a scene that has garnered these kinds of photos, a bad accident or a big fire, uh, something that shows a subject in a compromising situation that I have photos of, I always run it up the ladder. I say, hey, Todd, you know, I need you to look at my take. I need you to look at all the photos I shot. You know, I, you know here's, here are the 300 photos I have from this event. You know, I've selected these six. Which of these six do you like? Well, I like this one and that one. I'll have to ask the editor. I'll have to ask my boss about I'll have to ask the managing editor if we can use this. 
I mean, I can remember a couple instances where that conversation has been had. Um, you know, other times you or another editor will want to see all 300 images. Well, let me see everything you shot to know what these are like in context, you know, what the event was like from start to finish. Um, you know, it helps you make a decision on, you know, what's, what's a newsworthy image and what isn't. Um, but I, I can, like I said, off the top of my head, remember more than one time saying, Hey, I, I need, I need you or a team or several people to take a look at this gallery of images and tell me which ones to use, which ones not to. So, so. the public should know that the, the general, the general way these things work is we go, we take the pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take all the pictures that we're allowed to take. Now, there, when you're talking about a fatal accident, invariably a fatal accident will end up. I can remember um, some poor guy, and it was just horrible. He he, um, his uh, it was over on uh, Utica Ridge Road in Davenport. No, not Utica Ridge. What's the um, anyway over in Davenport where they built some new hospital or new uh, hotels and an old mm-hmm. folks home and stuff on that stretch in yeah. Davenport. And the tractor he was driving rolled Ooh. and it rolled on top of it, yeah. Oof. killing him. And that's just sad. Yeah. I mean, the poor guy, to, to, first of all, it's a horrible way to die. Second of all, you know, a workplace injury makes everybody nervous uh, because, you know, OSHA is going to be called and there's all sorts of, you yeah. know, bells and whistles that are going off when someone dies like that. But invariably... The police and fire people will put up a barrier right. between us mm-hmm. covering the news mm-hmm. and the the person's body. And I and that's that's great, but I know I think they there's some assumption sometimes by emergency personnel that we are there for some kind of uh, ambulance chasing glory hound, right, yeah. you know, ghoul yeah. mm-hmm. behavior. So they block the scene. Uh, it happens more in small towns than it happens yep. in uh, outs- in the, the immediate quad cities. Mm-hmm. A lot of times a cop will walk up to you and say, hey, they're going to pull blank out of the whatever. Right. Can you guys just not photograph it? And out of respect, you know, we're not, I know from our perspective, there's, no way we're running the picture of that guy's mangled body in right. the paper. Yeah. So in that case, I guess self-editing would be, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yes. I think maybe in that case when a police officer respectfully asks you yep. to not take that picture. If you're explicitly okay. asked or told um, in some instances. And, and yeah. maybe there's a photojournalist listening to me right now that says, oh, you're a jerk for agreeing to that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I have to live here. Right. So the <laughs> next time I need to deal with this cop, yeah. Having him on my side yeah. is to my advantage long term. Right. We're not going to run a picture of a mangled body of a guy mm-hmm. who's had a tractor rolled over on top of him. It's just not going to happen. Right. Uh, in a family newspaper, quote unquote family newspaper. Yeah, there's no way to more quickly alienate yourself from being able to gather news tomorrow than by taking everybody else off today. Right. You know, it's well, right. And you have, you know, you have to think, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are saying that, you know, I, I remember a lot of these conversations come up when they're talking about like war photography and, you know, it's the, uh, you know, the, the, Oh yeah. I kind of sidetracked my, my point. Yeah. Well, I don't think that we, what we do on a daily basis can be compared apples to apples t- to a guy who's, Oh no. I mean that, that's just, that's a whole nother yeah, that's a whole nother echelon of, yeah. of ethics and, mm-hmm. and, and, and photograph taking and photojournalism. 
that I have been not involved in. Well, and you know, it, the value of the photograph, you know, I think a photograph can actually have an impact on people's opinion on, you know, whether a war continues or whether a war doesn't continue. Well, look at but, Vietnam. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah. But tractor accidents are going to happen whether you run the photo of that guy underneath that tractor or not. You know, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, so it's the value of the, the photo itself isn't, you know, maybe quite as deep as, as a Right. You know, it's a not as heavy. Photo. No, yeah. um, it doesn't bear the weight. Well, locally speaking... I can say that I always try to, and I know that you guys always try to be respectful to people you're taking photos of in those situations. You know, someone whose house just caught on fire or whose loved one died in a car accident. Um, whenever I have the opportunity, I approach that person afterward and said, you know, hi, uh, you know, my name is Paul Kalei. I got some photos um, for the newspaper. I'm really sorry about your house. This is, this is tragic and I'm upset. Um, because, you know, I try to empathize and say, well, if it was me, you know, I, that's how I'd feel. Um, and I say, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I got some photos. Would it be all right if I had your name for the newspaper? Lots of times they'll give it to me. I, I can't actually remember a time where someone had said, has said to me, piss off, get the hell out of my face. That's actually never happened. They'll either say, uh, no, really, I don't want my picture in the newspaper or they'll say, yeah, my name is Jim Smith. I've lived in this house for 30 years. Yeah, my dog didn't make it out, but thank God, you know, my wife and I are safe. You know, usually that's what happens. People are really pretty accommodating. Um, but I, I've never actually had somebody, you know, get upset at me or just, you know, you know, tell me to piss off. Um, and of course, when somebody says, oh, I, I really don't want my picture in the newspaper. Sorry, I'm not going to give you my name. Doesn't, you know, doesn't release us from the responsibility of of weighing that photo as whether or not we can run it or not we can still run it without the name if we need to um but you know always asking always respectful and you know yeah, approaching I, people with that level of respect usually garners a, a you know a pretty good interaction so yeah i think i think that's a, a good practice that but i i think that the it takes a big set of cojones to walk up to somebody whose house is just burned down and introduce yourself. Yep. And I think that that person innately understands that that takes a, they don't, they may not acknowledge it, but I think somewhere deep in their lizard brain, they realize uh-huh. that that took uh, guts for them, for someone to come up to them mm-hmm. and introduce themselves. Um, and, and maybe they react more positively to someone and their and that bit of kindness that you give them mm-hmm. and that small bit of bravery that it takes to approach somebody in a difficult situation mm-hmm. and it's a it's an inherently difficult thing to do i think the people that are good at it are naturally good at it um i think that people and i've worked with reporters and photographers that are bad at talking to people yeah. And I think that the one skill that they can't teach in journalism school is uh, how to talk to people and how to congeniality. Yeah, congeniality is, really is a good important. way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, well, you just I think people sense empathy too. I mean, I think yeah. you know, I, I I've I've heard reporters talk to people, and uh, you know, it's I think they can they can spot a guy who's not maybe you know 
playing up to him. A little Eddie Haskell action going on. You phony, know? Yeah. phony baloney business. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah, true. I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm amazed. I, I'm always amazed at, um, people's bad timing. Yeah. They're like, whoa! You don't don't go up to them now. Don't no no. You we're all you know. You're standing there waiting for your moment to maybe talk to someone, and someone shows up to the scene late. Yeah, and they decide that they better play catch up, sort of like that scene from Animal House. I got a lot of catching up to do, and they and they they you know go running, and everybody else who's been no. there for an hour, you know, kind of waiting for the perfect moment is like slow motion. No. <laughs> you know, and then the person tells them to go to hell, and then everybody's you know out, done, out in the cold, done right? for yeah. the day because it's like oh well, I guess we're not getting that interview yep. anymore. Yep. Oh well. Right. Wah, wah. You know, I um, I'm almost hesitant to bring this up. I uh, we, we my can, family we can, we can yeah, edit it out. Can you? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how this goes. Um, my family, we lost a nephew in a pretty horrific and public car crash that this newspaper covered and uh, other media in the area covered. And I will tell you, at the time, it felt like it hurt more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was hard for me to be, I, well, I thank God I wasn't working that day and thank God I didn't have to cover it. But, um, you know, I was there with them as TV crews showed up and TV stories and internet stories showed up. Um, so it was, it was kind of a rough, rough time. And, and since then I lost a brother in a very private, uh, battle of cancer and the pain was achingly sim- similar. So I, I think sometimes when those people have those really super violent reactions to us, I think mm-hmm. I think it's just that that overwhelming pain, and there needs to be an out. There needs to be a direction for it to flow. And sure. I think sometimes it's us. Yeah, you know. And I mm-hmm. think that I think that might have something to do with it. Yeah, you know, when when those situations do happen, blame the media syndrome. Well, just you know, I I don't know. It, it's you want to not maybe be public at that moment. You want, you know, it's your story, it's your pain. So maybe you don't want, you know, but I also think there's, you know, it's, we've also talked to, to people who find great value in, in telling us their stories. Um, right. I, I'm remembered of the video that you shot of the, the guy who lost a, a daughter and uh, some kids who slept over in a house fire. Oh yeah. The house fire. Ooh, yeah. yeah. The, the, and, the, the, the Sherrard fire and yeah. uh, we'll link to it off our, um, yeah, there you go. We'll go to, uh, mm-hmm. we need to underneath this link, we'll link, uh, to our blog and which I cannot remember the, <laughs> Viewfinders, yeah, the viewfinders. Viewfinder blog, and then we will. Um, we really ought to embed there. Yeah, we're we're, we're designing our our. our uh, we'll get there. We'll get Live there. The hey, we just got arms, man. Yeah. Um, or not physical arms. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say arms yeah. to own our hold our mics. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the 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 fatal Sherard fire, and yeah. Paul and I both worked on that, that and video, I think yeah. as he spoke to us, the father, the grieving father. It we Paul and I were both taken aback yeah. at how brutally honest he was yes. about that night that his yep. wife and his two of uh, he lost of, almost his entire family. I think only his one boys. son, two one sons. or two sons, two, two sons. sons. But five other people died: his wife, three girls, yeah, Neighbor four girls, kid. yeah. yeah. It I was, mean, just and, he was really candid and heartfelt and honest with us. And I think that I, it's interesting because I think the process of him talking to Todd and me about what happened was cathartic for him. Until you go through it yourself, you wouldn't know. You know, it's hard for me to explain. 
I still don't know words to explain it. But until you go through something, you wouldn't understand. You just was turned inside out and shook around a little bit. And you got to pick up what pieces you can. But you, you have no theory of thought anymore. You just have a distinctive um, thing. And he had already done some other interviews with media. Mm. Um, but, Todd, it was a little like what you were just saying about when somebody gets there late and rushes up and kind of ruins the moment. I, I really can't speak for this gentleman. But it seemed as though the interviews and the things he had to say that preceded our story. Um, I don't know. He, I don't know if he was still too close to the event to have been able to reflect enough on it or if we just asked the right questions or were patient enough with him or gave him more of an opportunity to, to speak from the heart. Um, but he said more He said more in that story, in that video with us, than I had heard him say uh, to anyone else prior to that. Late that night, we all went to sleep and woke up to smoke and stuff in the house. And got the boys out. And tried to make it in a couple more times, got in, but I couldn't get much done and woke up in the hospital. So, broke a window out, burnt my face and eyes. And I don't know much after that until I got out of Iowa City and got to where I could move around and got burnt pretty good. I wasn't conscious when I left. Because the time they got there, the place was only four foot tall. And there wasn't no one going to survive that. I, I, uh, I think it, it seemed like it was good for him and like he wanted to participate, despite how tragic his loss was. It was I, huge. I agree, and I think the interesting thing about the way we we approached that story from a from a format standpoint or a style standpoint was we let him tell his story right. in yeah. long form. Right, right. It's a seven and a half minute video. Yeah, it's edited, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it is essentially him telling the story of that night and his rebuilding of his life. Um, and there's a lot you know we didn't use and um right but it's it's a it the story tells the story in a very linear fashion right and it's not caught up it's not cut up into sound bites that are then talked over right by a television reporter right there is no uh narration of emotion by someone else it is mm-hmm. his emotion and go. his emotions alone yeah. We are not reinterpreting what he said and yep. repeating it. It's sort of yeah. like when you you listen to the president's uh, State of the Union address, and then yeah. five seconds after it's over, George Stephanopoulos is yeah. retelling you what right. he just said. Yeah. And then when you hear, and then you see that the the ten, and I understand it's part of their format. I'm not bashing their format, but I'm saying that in this case, the retelling of the story by a third party. Mm-hmm. dilutes it yeah you know and so to let him tell his own story allows him to and that's a harder story to tell you know editing it that way and having it 
make sense and how i mean some people have conversations and they're disjointed and he could have jumped around he didn't but in that yeah. case you know and then you've got the ambient you know you've got to come up with video to lay underneath yeah. you know to lay over it and mm -hmm. and pictures from the scene and and whatnot but yep. it's kind of a different as opposed to somebody wrapping it up with a little bow at the end yep. and making it pretty at the end of a, of a two-minute newscast. Right. I mean, they don't have the opportunity to do seven minutes. Sure. It's not part of their format. Mm -hmm. So we are allowed more freedom to tell that story um, than, than TV is. But yeah. I thought that they warmed him up for us, and I think sure. he was much more comfortable telling his story after having done two or three television interviews Probably, to kind of give yeah. the short-form version yeah. of what happened to him. Yep, yep. But I'm always amazed at what people tell us. Yeah. I show up to, you could show up to almost anything and find somebody who would tell you their entire life story. Yeah. And and you're like, oh my God, you know, that expression TMI. Right. Whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa. Yeah. I just asked you if this was your house. Yeah. You know, I didn't need to know about Aunt Shirley and and your cats and your dog and and Sister Margaret and yeah. your father who beat you. I, and and no, your I cancer diagnosis and, <laughs> and exactly. the chemo, right? Yeah, and all yeah, that. I yeah, don't, I we mean, get it all. Wow, that's not what I asked. Because you mentioned the blog, um, I rem I'm remembering a blog post that I put up there, gosh, a year and a half ago about when we went down to cover the tornadoes in Washington, Illinois. Oh, that's a really good post. People should go back and And, and just the, it's, it's on topic for what we're talking about because – here, our reporter Tyler and I are walking through the heart of this disaster zone, and this F four tornado has just wiped four hundred houses like right off, off the, the foundations. Just, I mean, just gone. Just huge houses just turned to splinters, and people are picking through the piles of rubble. Oh, and here I come with a camera, taking pictures of you picking up the scattered remnants of your life. Uh, oh, hi, you know, I'm Paul. I'm with the newspaper. You know, could I have your name? You know, um, and everybody was really kind of eager and, I don't know, relieved to see me there or any news outlet there. But they were eager to talk about what had happened. And, you know, they didn't consider the news coverage of the event like voyeuristic or like we were vultures there to to exploit them or their their tragedy. They were really, really kind of eager to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is what we heard. This is how it happened. Yeah, my house is gone, but everybody's alive. And, you know, despite the incredible losses of, like, an entire neighborhood just gone, um, everybody was really, like, forthcoming and, um, and you know, genuine about it. Really surprising, given the circumstances. And, you know, it, you have to ask, you know, oh, I got your photo for the newspaper. Could I have your name? And then all of a sudden they just open up their heart and want to tell you everything. It's really surprising. Todd, do you think it's because people don't want to be forgotten? You know, I I have no idea. I'll be honest with you. I had people tell me their stories, and I'm and all I can think of is why are you telling me your story? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's sometimes the stories aren't very self-reflecting. You know, it's they right. they're 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 not great stories. But you know, people share, and maybe it is. Maybe it's uh, or maybe they're just they're getting part of themselves back in telling the story. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know if, if that's it, if, if it's, you know, ownership, you know, it's, this happened to me, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm still here and mm -hmm. I, I'm going to move on. I, I really don't know. That's a, that's a heck of a good question. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I think a lot of times, especially if it's a loved one who has died that, um, that people want that 
talking to us or talking to television or somebody and telling the story that they take control of the story yeah uh and they can they, that 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 our news coverage stands as a monument to that person sure. so that they can look back and say hey this is the story somebody wrote about that and i i know that one of the proudest moments of my life was when both Chicago newspapers called my mother to do obituaries about my dad when he died. Uh, yeah. And that is a fairly unusual thing to have happen mm-hmm. unless you're some kind of celebrity. Dad was just interesting. I mean, like way mm-hmm. more interesting than me. I mean, he led a much more interesting life. That's a podcast for another day. <laughs> um, but he... They found him. They, you know, they they see the death notices from the funeral homes. And they call through them, and they don't. You know, the dispatch runs what the the Quad Cityans or most people of, in communities this size think of as an obituary. It's a summary of life, essentially. And the bigger newspapers have so many people in their circulation that die. They just instead of it's death notices, you die. That's your. That's it unless they deem you worthy of a story and then they have someone on the obit desk call you and you you know have a 25 minute conversation about your loved one and they have a story for the paper next day with a photograph from the from the funeral home or one that you send them mm-hmm. and i still have those obituaries cut out about my dad because somebody thought my dad was worthy of putting in the newspaper yeah and I thought that was really, really cool. Even when the phone rang and that someone, the woman introduced herself from the Tribune, I thought I got a little excited that Dad was going to get this recognition. So when someone dies in a war or dies in some unusual way, you want people to pay attention to yeah. your pain and your uh, suffering and how great the person you thought this person who passed away was. So, um, I mean, look at social media, man. Every time somebody knows somebody who dies, it's like, it's Memoriam City. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that that, like that kind of thinking goes into why people tell us their stories. They, they just ooze, you know, all this stuff all over us and we have to cull it into a story or a photograph or whatever and, but I think a lot of people just don't want their loved ones to be forgotten, and that's how you end up, you know, writing a story. And it's the same reason why people call us when soldiers were coming home from. Uh, it doesn't happen yeah. as much as it used to, but when soldiers were coming home from from conflict zones yeah. um, or war zones or whatever you want to call zones, um, that everybody wanted us to be there when their kid right. hit the hit the tarmac or hit the tarmac at. Mm-hmm. at, at the Quad Cities Airport, and so, and we were glad to do it. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't get called very often. I mean, the people coming home now isn't doesn't seem to be as big a deal to people, uh, even their own family members, maybe. But, um, but yeah, no, it's a it makes a great photo. I mean, it's kind of the same photo over and over again, but it's yep. not the same photo to that family because that means their soldier mm-hmm. was recognized by the local newspaper as coming home yep. safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we did a good job exploring that topic. Yeah, forty-five Man, minutes. Let's talk about camera straps or something stupid next week. <laughs> <Spent>. <laughs> well, I think we're we're gonna we're hopefully we we'll tell people a little about what we're doing now. Transition to a little lighter topic. 
we are we are slowly building our podcast studio into something that is not <laughs> baling wire and and, and uh, duct tape <laughs> piece by piece. And so we've got now we've got these fancy arms that our mics are are pressed into, yep. and and uh, we've got pop filters. Ooh. So we we look like we're talking into a woman's black pantyhose. It's <laughs> a very uncomfortable deer. Uh, uh, and then we've got our own little mixing board, uh, which is, is performing very admirably today. And uh, next week, we'll hopefully have a couple more little pieces of equipment to, and then um, they'll tell us we can't do it anymore. I have to send everything back to Amazon or pay for it myself. I've got a podcasting studio in my basement. I'm talking by myself. So anyway, we, we looked the part. We looked the part. Yeah. Let's ex- hope we sound the part too. Yeah. We didn't know the table was going to be this thick when we bought the, these right. are these arms and the clamp won't fit on the table. So Paul and, and Todd's mics are clamped to uh, wooden stools out of my <laughs> uncle's man cave. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't look the part. I might have spoken I too know. soon. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> We're getting there. Anybody wants there. to give us a table to do this on? That are, Oh, I, we could use that little Maybe. table, which people yeah. can't see. We're talking about something that's something in the room with us. And uh, so anyway, thank you for listening. Thank I'm you. Todd Meisner. I'm Paul Coletti. And I'm Todd Welbert. And we're Talking Pictures. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of The Dispatch, The Rock Island Argus, and QCOnline.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to go to QCOnline.com slash multimedia. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. Talking Pictures is produced by Todd Meisner, Paul Coletti, and Todd Walvert. Thanks to Laura Anderson-Shaw, Meg McLaughlin, Laura Frames, and Randy Fisk.